there is a culture of, of just sort of, of white supremacy, really. Because the machine kind of sounds more and more now like an urban legend, like a conspiracy theory, like a, like, you know, we're exaggerating. It's really not that bad. It's just Greeks getting together and voting for each other. We knew that the vast majority of students who voted in the campus elections were Greek. And you can, we had this one Greek vote. I'm Amy Yerkinen, and you're listening to Greek Gods, a podcast brought to you by Reckon. And I'm John Archibald. I've covered news and politics at AL.com and the Birmingham News for decades. And before that, I covered them at the University of Alabama. There's a direct relationship between the Greek system and racial prejudice on campus, and the machine plays a critical role. The Secret Society operates as the political arm of the fraternities and sororities on campus. A little warning about this episode, there is some bad language, including racial epithets. Like a lot of schools, the University of Alabama has traditionally white and black Greek systems. Until a few years ago, white sororities almost never admitted black students. By default, that also excluded black students from many positions of power on campus. Only three black students have been elected SGA president since 1976. Marissa Navarro was one of two students trying to become SGA president outside the secret system in 2018. I was very excited to be on campus just because I'm the first person in my family to attend a university. And so I came in just very optimistic. Through early college, I learned very quickly that the Greek system kind of dictates whether or not you'll succeed. Marissa wanted to make a mark, so she decided to pledge a sorority. And so that was my first thing, like, oh, I have to be Greek because, like, back in my hometown, I was very active. I always spoke out as class president and a part of every organization, even though I was attending school six days a week just to be here. So I knew that I wanted to be active on campus and to impact students. And so I rushed. And my third day here, I'll never forget, I was standing in line at Tutwiler to vote on which houses that I wanted to be a part of, and a girl blatantly said that Mexicans were dirty, ugly, and poor. Until 2013, the sororities in the machine systematically blocked black pledges. Members who blew the whistle said alumni blocked efforts to admit the African-American granddaughter of an Alabama trustee, despite her connections and stellar credentials. University of Alabama President Judy Bonner reopened the bidding process, and the sororities desegregated. All that happened just a few years ago. Audrey Bolas, the daughter of former independent SGA President John Bolas, pledged Alpha Omicron Pi during this period. What came to light was that women of color were not allowed in sororities almost, almost every single time, systematically deleted from the computers, usually by alumni, but it was hard to tell who exactly was doing it, who was in charge of it. The story, broken by reporters at the Crimson White, made national headlines. But locally, people had been talking about it for years. People who couldn't get into machine fraternities or sororities couldn't get into honor societies or student government. And it's not just that. Members of Kappa Alpha Order, Price McGifford's fraternity, used to hold an Old South parade on campus that glorified the antebellum South. That tradition ended after members of Alpha Kappa Alpha, the traditionally black sorority led by Amber Scales, objected. Elliot Spillers won a race for SGA president in 2015 as an independent and became the second African-American to hold the position in the school's history. The first one, Cleo Thomas, was elected in 1976. 
our sorority systems and fraternity system was not integrated. And there were many who tried, there were many who were denied opportunities. Yet this particular opportunity and this particular student who was denied opportunity happened to be the granddaughter of the board of trust a member of the board of trustees. And that shows me that even with power, even with influence at the university level, you're still at opportunities. Sororities at Alabama desegregated, but racism remained. Here's Elliot Spillers on his early experiences at Alabama frat parties. I went to fraternity parties, IFC fraternity parties my first year. And I remember my first experience going to a house that I didn't have a friend in and being asked if I knew anybody in the house and I said no and then being asked if I was an athlete (laughs) and you know I have never been mistaken for an athlete at the university but I think to their surprise I I had to say no and I said no um, and I wasn't allowed into that party. In January a video surfaced of a student at the University of Alabama. Harley Barber, a 19-year-old from New Jersey and a member of Alpha Phi, repeatedly used racial slurs in videos posted to Instagram. Since I was fucking in high school, and nobody fucking understands how much I love Alpha Phi. And now someone wants to save my fence because I said nigger. You know what? Nigger, nigger, nigger. I don't care if it's Martin Luther King Day. (laughs) Nigger, nigger, nigger. I'm in the South now, bitch. So everyone can fuck off. I'm from New Jersey. So I can say nigger as much as I want. Nigger, nigger, nigger. And if anyone else wants to fucking snake me on my fucking fence. Barbara left campus, but students kept talking about her hateful posts and the silence of the other girls on tape with her, who can be heard giggling in the background. They shocked students who believed the school had made progress on racial equality, but they didn't shock students of color. Here's Amber Scales, an African-American woman running for SGA president. The way it's happened to me is that a a truck will drive by, somebody will roll down their window, and they'll yell it at you directly. But that makes your campus experience tainted in the same way watching that video does. And it's something that a lot of students on our campus, because we are a predominantly white institution, will never have to experience. They'll never have to think about how are they going to act the next day after that happens. All this ugly undercurrent runs under a stunning campus. Elliot was considering colleges across the country when he took the tour at Alabama. The day that I um, toured and was walking through there, fridges were thrown, birds came out on cue, and um, it was quintessential college. You think of college, you think of, you know, you think of the UA, and I'm so thankful that I chose the university, but, you know, I knew walking in that campus and I wanted to make a difference. That's my parents. I was like, this is the place for me and I want to make a difference here. After he enrolled, Elliot thought about pledging a fraternity. He considered traditionally black and white houses before he decided against going Greek. And that's the saying that has run over and over and over and over again within our institution. UA Greek students are the leaders of our institution. And for me, (laughs) that could be further from the truth. Still, his independence made it more difficult to win office in student government. Elliot ran twice in his freshman and sophomore years and lost both times. 
at the debate my senior year for president, they asked me, the moderator asked me, he said, you know, so many would say, you know, this is your third time running, you know, what makes you, what makes you capable of winning your third time around? All I could say was third time's the charm. And um, I will say that, yeah, I definitely was the underdog from freshman year to sophomore year. Unlike independents who beat machine candidates in the past, Elliot didn't go after the machine or the Greek system. In fact, he courted some of the frats and sororities outside the group. He didn't encounter any violent sabotage. ATO, Alpha Tau Omega, which is a very influential fraternity in our campus, who's not involved in the machine, but are very influential, they decided to support me. And they were the first organization to publicly do so. And they put my banner on their house in support and solidarity with me. And that was huge. And again, going back to strategy, we knew that the vast majority of students who voted in the campus elections were Greek. And you can you have to swing the Greek vote. And by that declaration, that would empower other fraternities and sororities who supported me to likewise put my banners on their houses. And so our campaign picked up when that happened. But the funny part was, I don't know who it was. It may have been machine, it may not have been, but they took the banner off the ATO and tore it down. And the ATO cameras caught them doing it. Race and Greek life emerged, again, as pivotal issues as Election Day neared in 2018. In a debate at the Ferguson Center, the candidates addressed the issues head-on. They talked about the Harley Barber video, and Price McGifford got a little bit testy. In this clip, he's insisting he does care about all the students on campus, even though he's a white man. You're insinuating that I not care about every student. That's not true. Just because I might be a white male standing right here, that does not mean that I do not care. And I'll work with every single person that I can possibly work with to make sure that this is the best University of Alabama that we can possibly have. But just because I'm a white male does not mean that I do not care. Right. My name is John Hammontree. I currently work at AL.com on the Reckon team. I attend the University of Alabama from 2007 to 2010. Uh, I worked on the Kinder Key campaign while I was there, and uh, we lost. I'm Mark Hammontree. I am now teaching high school English in Henry County, Georgia, south of Atlanta. I was at Alabama from 2012 to 2016 and was part of the winning Elliott Spillers <laughs> campaign. Um, there I, technically my role was as campaign manager, but was sort of part of just a uh, intense group effort. For the record, I work with John and he's given me a lot of advice about this podcast. So at some point, it seemed like we should sit down and talk. Since his brother Mark happened to be in town, he joined us too. Mark uh, and I have always kind of weirdly competed with each other in that, like... But not consciously. It's not like... Con- yeah, well, it's not even competing. It's just we do the same things. Yeah, it's like... In it, different There's orders. very much a, like, I realize after the fact, like, oh, crap, I'm doing the same things that John did, you know, like... Right. 
Like Mark went into journalism before I did. Yeah, that's true. That's the one where it has been switched. Yeah. And I'm I'm always proud of that. But yeah, we but anyways, um this isn't the John and Mark podcast. John and Mark grew up mostly in Alabama. John is the oldest of three brothers and the first to go to college, but he didn't go straight to Alabama. Instead he went to DePaul University in Chicago to study film. On a trip back home, he met up with some friends. And I remember talking to my buddy Jimbo at one point, uh, and I feel like every good Alabama story has somebody named Jimbo in it. <laughs> he told me about the stuff that he was involved in at Alabama and told me about this thing called the machine. And I was like, that can't be real. It sounds like skull and bones or something. And I read this Esquire article from like 1992 or 1993 that was about the secret society at the University of Alabama. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, like I want to go to Alabama and like see what this is all about. At this point, Alabama still had segregated sororities and fraternities. No African-American had been elected SGA president since Cleo Thomas in 1976. But on the national level, a young candidate seemed poised to make history. The 2008 election was going on and so you know, Barack Obama was running for president. There was this really kind of hopeful post-racial conversation going on on the national level. And, um, you know, you had this charismatic young African-American candidate who kind of shocked everybody and won. And so that kind of seeped into all of politics, even on like the SGA level, I think. John joined Kendra Key's presidential campaign in 2009. Her opponent dodged questions about his involvement with the machine and articles about the campaign, but never explicitly denied or confirmed it. He belonged to a fraternity allegedly affiliated with the group. According to the leaked machine constitution, all member houses pay at least $850 a year in dues, which can add up to thousands of untracked dollars that could be used for campaigns. Kendra's campaign was supposed to keep its spending under a cap of less than $1,000, as John recalls. Her campaign team found ways around the limit. We had some strategies of like, okay, well, we won't spend this money. We'll have this campus group print out some shirts that say so-and-so for Kendra Key. And so we'll take this money and we'll move it over to there. So it's kind of like, you know, moving dark money around. So I, mean, I think ultimately we spent about $5,000 on that campaign through various organizations. The experience taught him that student elections were more than just child's play. It was a crash course in Alabama politics. It would be really easy for anybody listening to this to kind of write it off as like political cosplay. Like, you know, like it's like a Ren fair for nerdy politicos. But I think that what it does kind of teach you is, for better or worse, how politics works in Alabama or how politics works on the national level for that matter. In order to combat the machine, you kind of have to use similar machine tactics. John and other members of Kendra's team had heard all the stories about the machine, so they took precautions in case things turned ugly. I escorted Kendra, like, to her dorm at night because she was worried that something was going to happen to her. Nothing ever did, but I remember people chalked swastikas on the sidewalk over the Kendra um, logos. Right. And I think at that time, there was a lot of racial slurs being tossed out just generally um, on campus at that time. And I mean, that obviously still is. That's always going to be the case. Um, Well, hopefully not always, but that seems to be the case most of the time. But they weren't just protecting themselves against the machine. In a way, they also had to become the machine. Here's John. 
we had a mole in the machine campaign. So we knew what they knew for most of the time. And so we know that there were four members of the administration that were supposed to have access to the vote totals. At the end of the first day, Kendra's campaign was winning by 700 votes. We knew that because they knew that. And they knew that because somebody in the administration was telling them. And so by the end of the second day, they had gone out. They, and I mean, we had video footage of this. We had documentation of this. They were buying people shots for votes. They were knocking on doors and dorm rooms, which are not allowed to campaign in the, in the dorms on election day in the middle of the night and like, you know, basically forcing people to vote. And so it ends in this contentious standoff of like their campaign and our campaign standing outside of Fresh Foods like a scene out of West Side Story or something <laughs> at like 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, like we've got our camera documenting their violations. They've got their camera documenting our violations. And uh, so it was just this adrenaline moment. And I remember we had surrounded Kendra. Uh, we had this big victory party planned because we knew we had it. Like we knew we were winning and we ended up losing by, I think, right around 200 votes, between 200 and 250 votes. By the time Mark Hammontree started college six years after his brother, the optimism of the Obama campaign had faded. By his sophomore year, the campus was grappling with the fallout of the sorority segregation scandal. To protest racism on campus, students organized rallies and pressured administrators. Divisions appeared within the sororities and the machine, which opened doors in student government. Here's Mark. To have a story like that, you know, that's really sort of tearing apart the big aspect of how the Greek community operates, it, it really electrified the whole campus. So you had a lot of the Greek community. There were sort of two reactions that I observed. You know, there were the ones who, who sort of acknowledged, yeah, this is a problem and got behind it. You know, just like a lot of the women who had come out in the story who were who were part of these sororities, you know, that saying like, yeah, this is what we've been trying to tell people. It's it's the alumni, it's the the administration, it's, you know, whatever. They're they're blocking even those of us who want change. But then you also had like the defensiveness aspect, which you know I think is really natural, but it was, you know, a lot of no, that's you know, they're blowing things out of proportion. This isn't how it works, you know, it's just blah 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 Some blah blah. Best friends are black. <laughs> right. Uh, so it was sort of a, a tense moment, but I think that the voices that were saying no, this is something we need to change, sort of one out. For the first time in 30 years, revolution stirred on campus. Elliot assembled a large team, more than 100 people who became involved in one way or another. People actually got a chance to see Elliot and hear from him what he wanted to accomplish. Um, and, and being able to experience that energy sort of gave them the, the motivation, but also like the competence to go vote and actually think that it would make a difference. And it did. And we actually won by pretty by a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. I remember <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was enough to where like that was what was more surprising. Like yeah. yeah, we won, but like we won we sort of whooped their butts. Well I remember the night that you won I guess you called me or somebody called me, but somehow like because this hadn't happened in my lifetime, I don't think. And so there were calls among alumni 
we all went out and met at Kerrigan's in Birmingham. You know, it was just kind of like, I mean, I remember calling Kendra and like, you know, that was a, an emotional conversation. And so it was just kind of this sense that like the unthinkable had happened. Yeah. Even Elliot Spillers himself wasn't prepared for the results. While the rest of the campaign staff waited in an office for the results, he ducked out for a bite to eat. I was starving. I was like, I have, I've been, I missed class for this. Like, I need to get some Chipotle. And so I went to Chipotle that night with um, a buddy of mine, Tate, who also was running for Vice President of Student Affairs that year. And I remember getting a phone call from Kelly Knox Hall saying that we had won. And literally just that night, um, I shouted and pulled away. And they were just like, who is this guy? I told the four others, the three others that we had won. And we all just started jumping up and down. And I remember going outside and calling my mom and saying, mom, guess what? We won. John Hammontree had already moved back to Birmingham after spending time in the Bay Area and Washington, D.C. He was working at AL.com when the results came in. What year was the election? 2014? 2014? No, 15? 2015. Yeah, so by that point, I had been out of college for five years, so it feels kind of silly <laughs> to be celebrating a college election, but like... Up until the Doug Jones election, that was the most surprising election result in my lifetime. <laughs> because, like, that just, it just, it just didn't, didn't happen. Like, it like happen. nobody nobody ever beat the machine. For Alabama politicos, student elections often provide a springboard to the real thing. That's true of independence as well as the machine. A lot of the people that were involved with Kendra's campaign went on to yeah. have careers in politics. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ian. yeah, Ian... Ian lost with Kendra, and then Ian lost with Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Independents and machine candidates don't break down neatly along party lines. George Wallace ran as an independent and lost to the machine. Lister Hill, a six-term Democratic senator from Alabama who founded the machine, allegedly championed progressive positions on health care and foreign aid. Republican U.S. Senator Richard Shelby is also rumored to be a member. Not everyone involved in student politics goes on to run for office. Many remain behind the scenes, in powerful positions as lobbyists and CEOs. The lines between good and bad can blur on campus and get even blurrier afterward. When you're on campus, everything matters to this like absurd degree. Right. Like it's like, oh well, you know, the national media needs to be talking about this. What's happening here is an injustice. And then when you're done, it's kind of like, you know, right. it's like you become friends with the other side because you can kind of reminisce about how fun yeah. the fight was. <laughs> and so, so like, I'm, I'm friends with people who were in the machine, who we, who we worked against. And then I think what's also interesting is, like, it'd be really easy to kind of break this down into, like, I don't know, Republican versus Democrat, liberal versus conservative. Right. But uh, I think the year after Kendra's election... One of our main campaign people went to work for a Republican candidate, Tim Pawlenty's campaign, and then another obviously went on to work, now works with Tim Kaine. And so we had a bunch of Republicans and Democrats on our side, and because it, you know, it kind of boils down into campus politics. Right. The loss to Elliott Spillers jolted the machine. After 30 years of almost effortless dominance, the organization had to change. But has it changed enough? 
the University of Alabama now has more out-of-state students than in-state, and a lot of them don't tolerate the old ways of doing things. Madeline Dukes managed a campaign in 2014. She's one of those out-of-state students from South Carolina, and her experience of the machine has a lot in common with her predecessors. There were instances where my number was posted on Craigslist, one for a very cheap iPhone, and of course everyone in eternity wanted to call me to buy that iPhone that did not exist, but also in the women seeking men section as a for hire service. And this is the spring that I was applying to law school and I went to Faulkner here in Montgomery for my first year of law school, which is a very strict Church of Christ school, and many of my professors did not believe in the radio. I mean, music is sinful, so absolutely prostitution is sinful. And so I was very lucky that I knew their dean of admissions very well at that point, and they didn't even entertain it as potentially true. But if I had been attending any other traditional school, they absolutely would have, and it would have been noted in my bar application or in my admissions application, which then morphs into your bar application. And then when I was sitting for the bar, I would have had to go before character and fitness and explain why I wasn't actually a prostitute. Just days before the 2018 election, a document purporting to be the constitution of the machine surfaced in emails sent from a mysterious source. It's impossible to verify the authenticity, but it confirmed many of the stories that have surfaced over the years. The constitution, authored by a mysterious leader who goes by the name Nux, included a vision for the future of the group, a kinder, gentler form of influence. Quote, There have been situations and rumors surrounding the group and the system to be racist and scary throughout its history. This is not the truth of the group today, he wrote. The overall mission of the group is the advancement of the Greek system and the overall university. There's nothing morally wrong in what we do. We will not and cannot intimidate our voters. We need to be seen as the home team and the secret organization that represents the Greek system in a positive way. Violence and threats against independent candidates aren't as common as they were in the past. Nothing like what had happened in previous elections in decades past happened in our election. We had no sabotaging of local businesses, no people following people to their cars, no people getting beat, no people having crosses burned in the yard, anything like that. I mean, we definitely, you know, had people who were occasionally leaking stuff to us, you know, screenshots of things from the machine, but honestly, like, I never heard of any, like, direct voter intimidation or candidate intimidation or anyone on our team, anything like that. The machine constitution still contains plenty of troubling details. Members can be fined for violating the secrecy of the organization, and it encourages a kind of tribalism that requires fraternity and sorority members to vote with their kind. Even though the Greek system is more diverse now than it was in the past, it's still closed to plenty of students who can't afford the hefty fees. Like there's not, you know, I mean, there's not bombings in Alabama to, to maintain white supremacy anymore, but there are subtle shifts. Like. Right, and, and, and and doing things in that more subtle way allows you some to sort of divert attention from the insidiousness of, mm -hmm. of what's still going on. And how systemic the controls right. is, definitely. And I think that it also makes it easier for students who aren't involved to just kind of write it off. Like, it, it you know, it, it's very easy to say, oh, well, the machine's not that bad anymore. And I mean, by that measure, it's not, uh, but, you know, for, in terms of just being a group that controls things, 
there's always going to be people who are going to come in and, and fight that in some form. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have asked Elliot Spillers whether he's considering a future in politics, but right now, he doesn't see an opening. What UA taught me was that people have to be ready, or else you can't sustain the change. It won't be sustained. And a mentor of mine um, always says, you know, who wants to be the king of an evil country? And people have to be ready. And I think that particularly within Alabama, the infrastructure has to be built to sustain change. And looking at the political landscape of Alabama the last few decades, I don't think that uh, politics is the, uh, the answer necessarily for a place like Alabama. When the machine backed an African-American for SGA president in 2017, that candidate, Jared Hunter, admitted it in the column in the Crimson White. When he did it, Hunter took a step toward normalizing the system while barely acknowledging its checkered past. To Audrey Bolas, that was a blow for candidates concerned about its power. Because the machine kind of sounds more and more now like an urban legend, like a conspiracy theory, like a, like, you know, we're exaggerating, it's really not that bad, it's just Greeks getting together and voting for each other, and, you know, he did a great job of painting it that way. So it's, it's unclear if other machine members will continue that, you know, new legacy of just coming out and saying it, if they'll be more open. None of the candidates who ran in 2018 openly embraced the machine's support. In the wake of Jared Hunter's resignation after a DUI arrest and racist Instagram posts from a member of the Alpha Phi sorority, Amber Scales hoped that campus support could swing toward an independent. I expect to win tomorrow. I think that under the right circumstances, hopefully it won't rain. It's very important. Up next on Greek Gods, we'll find out who will win the SGA presidency, how the machine shaped John Archibald's life long after college, and meet his wife Alicia, who has quite a story of her own. They were sort of the benevolent dictators of the University of Alabama, just like they were in the just state of Alabama. Plantation mentality. It's a real plantation mentality, and it, it, and it has worked. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. This series was produced by Amy Yerkinen and co-hosted by John Archibald. Our theme song is Where the Cotton Mouths Hung by The Delicate Cutters. Our logo was designed by Robin Hammontree. You can find all four episodes and other material on iTunes, Google Play, and at al.com slash Reckon. If you like this podcast, you can follow Reckon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. 